0: All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined by my co-host, Jackie Mitchell. Hey. Jackie, the vibes are high today.
1: Oh, are
0: they? You don't feel like the vibes are high in the 514 <laughs> well, okay. Church Production yeah. Studio? Yeah, yeah, Producer Jerry's back in the building. He
2: is. That's, that's a huge blessing.
0: He's not in the room.
2: No, but he's around.
0: But he's in the building. Last yeah. time, when he wasn't here, we had refrigerators making noises. We had people cutting concrete directly next to the <laughs> office. Uh, the lights, the lights were going out and we're here. just going so out. Yeah. if we ever post these videos on YouTube, that's going to be an interesting episode. Yes, sorry. All of a sudden we're talking yeah. in the dark. Uh, but we're back.
2: We're back and Jared's you know? back.
0: So we're back. Jared's back every week. We're just putting out the art. <laughs> I mean, we're just like really grinding every week. We haven't <laughs> missed over half a year. Jackie, we're really it's doing like, this. Yeah, thing. it
2: really has been half a year, which is crazy. We're really
0: doing this thing. Uh, We celebrate our 20th episode. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is our 28th episode. And so we are going to celebrate our 30th episode. We're
2: going to celebrate every 10 episodes. (laughs) And we're going
0: to start getting a little (laughs) bit more theatrical with it too. We're going to have some...
2: Just you guys wait till the 100th episode. Oh yeah, it's going to be wild. You have no idea what's in store.
0: It's going to be wild. Today, we're talking about Genesis 15. And so Mm -hmm. this is like a wild chapter, wild story. We've got the voice of God. We've got the promise of descendants. We've got a deep and dreadful darkness. Mm. a smoking fire pot, a blazing torch. And so we're going to talk about what this stuff means. Yeah. It'll be a fun episode. That's why the vibes are high, Jackie. Oh,
2: okay. We're opening the word of God. That's right.
0: Okay. Now I was under the impression that makes the vibes high. Maybe you- No, no,
2: no, no. You're right. You you got a good point.
0: If you enjoy this podcast, uh, please subscribe, rate, give us a review. It's always helpful. And here's something else that we're going to ask of our loyal listeners. I'm going to ask you guys to maybe start sharing these episodes with people that you know and love, you know, like if there is something that we have talked about, or if in general, the, the vibe of the podcast, the content of the podcast, you think there's people in your life who might be interested in that, go ahead and share it with them, you know, share the, share the podcast with your friends who are Christians, who might want to get more into the Bible, share it with people who aren't Christians, who, who maybe you think the perspective that is, is being brought forth here, might be helpful to people, whatever it is, go ahead and show. Maybe there's like a particular episode, you know, like maybe, you know, someone in your life who for whatever reason is into giants.
2: <laughs> know lots of people in my life, <laughs> super into giants. Well, we
0: have an episode on giants. So, <laughs> you know, go ahead and share that episode with them. I had a uh, a friend who I went to college with. I love this person dearly. And they know that, that we're doing this podcast and she, you know, they know that I'm a pastor and so this person reached out to me with a, with a TikTok. And you know the TikTok pastors that like deconstruct the Bible in yeah. 30 seconds or whatever? Yeah, it's like sometimes very, very dumb. This one was actually like pretty good because it was a guy who was talking about the word helper in Genesis 2. Hmm. So when God says there was no helper suitable for man, so he makes woman. And culturally, sometimes we take that and we make that seem like that means that the man is the one who's doing stuff and the point of the woman is to help him yeah. do stuff, right? And so the guy was talking about how the Hebrew word for helper is Azer, which throughout the rest of the, the Hebrew scriptures is used almost exclusively to talk about God. Mm-hmm. God is help. God is the helper. And so that kind of debunks this idea that woman being helper, ezer, uh, means that she's somehow inferior, right? Mm-hmm. So my friend sent this to me and said, you know, something along the lines of like, maybe you should... Discuss this on your podcast, and maybe some other translation things that you know the church has. I don't even really know what the accusation is—like purposely mistranslated for some reason. And so I responded, and I said, uh, "I pretty—I agree with pretty much everything this guy's saying in the video." And it was actually covered in Story Simple Spirit episode ten. Wow, a little spicy Start to
2: reference, actually.
0: I said, "Go ahead and give it a listen." <laughs> and this was in a group text, and so one of my other friends sent uh, a response to that that said. This is John's version of per my previous email yes,
2: is. <laughs> um, if you actually listen to episode 15 minute 30
0: mm-hmm. yeah, we've part, covered that. part of the reason we're doing this podcast is so I don't ever have to answer anyone's questions <laughs> like specifically I just reference my podcast
2: anyone emails John any questions. He's emailing you just a snippet yeah. of the podcast.
0: Yeah when we get like five years into this it'll be like episode 128 take a listen. I don't have time for this. Time for John, time for this. <laughs> just John. sign it. John. I'll just send him the Bye. link. Oh, so last episode, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: we dove into the sudden appearance and disappearance of Melchizedek. And so yeah. we actually talked uh, pretty in depth about who Melchizedek is and why he becomes a type or a foreshadowing of Christ and this kind of eternal priest and eternal King. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so go back and listen to that for details if you haven't yet. Uh, but but Melchizedek appeared last chapter when Abram had just gone and defeated Keter Laomer in order to rescue his his nephew Lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so if you remember, uh Laomer defeated a bunch of giant clans and Canaanite tribes who were in rebellion, including Sodom, which is close to where Lot had, had chosen to go after breaking off from Abram. And so, you know, all of that chapter is packed full of meaning that comes from the genealogy of Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And because of Ham's rebellion against his father, the sons of Ham, which are the Canaanites, were cursed with being under the dominion of the sons of Shem. And if you read through the story, Elam is the firstborn son of Shem. And in Genesis 14, Keter Laomer is the king of Elam. Mm -hmm. And so even though at this point, after the Tower of Babel, Keter Laomer is a pagan, he is still the son of Shem, technically. Mm -hmm. And so he's supposed to have dominion over the Canaanites. Yeah. According to the prophecy of Noah, right? It's all connected. And he does. So when these Canaanite tribes rebel, Kedra goes and seemingly easily puts it down, Mm -hmm. right? And takes control back over because that's what the sons of Shem do Mm -hmm. to the sons of Ham, right? Yeah. But Abram, who is the chosen vessel of God's salvation, has a cousin who gets caught up in the mix of this war. Yeah. He gets captured. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gotten too close to Sodom. And so Abram goes and defeats Keter Leomer and rescues Lot. Mm-hmm. And he gives all of Sodom's possessions back to the king because he doesn't want to plunder the goods and things that are tainted by the giant clans and the Nephilim and this idolatry that, that happens there. And he breaks bread and drinks wine with Melchizedek. And so that's like a high level summary of where we came from. Mm-hmm. Right. If you want the theological and genealogical details of this, go and listen to that episode. I think it's episode twenty-six. Let's do that. And so now we come to the scene that we'll be working through today, Genesis fifteen. Yeah. So why don't we get into it? Why don't we read the first three verses?
2: Yeah, Genesis 15, one through three. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir.
0: Mm. So if you analyze the language at the beginning part of this verse, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty strange. It says that the word of the Lord came to Abram. What?
2: In a vision. In a vision. Something he saw. Yeah.
0: So the word of the Lord appears visually. Which is not usually the way that we think about God speaking to people in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? And so it means that Abram is looking at something. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to get into this in more detail in a couple chapters. I think when we do what's called the hospitality of, of, of Abraham. Mm-hmm. But I'll spoil it a little bit. The word of the Lord is a person.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So once we get to the Gospel according to John, John is going to open, and what's he going to say?
2: He's going to say, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, mm-hmm. dwelt among us."
0: Yeah. So he refers to Jesus yeah. as the Word. Now, uh, this is not necessarily agreed upon by all biblical scholars, but there's a decent consensus, and people that I really respect would agree with me in what I'm going to say. Uh, I think that the Word is Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The the this is a little bit of a, a Problematic way to say it, but like the pre-incarnate Christ, mm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? The second person of the Trinity, the Eternal Son,
1: mm-hmm.
0: comes and speaks in the Old Testament to them. When you read the prophets and every other line, it says the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Yeah, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. I think that that means Jesus, mm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Uh, pre-incarnation, the the Eternal Son is actually communicating with people through all of redemptive history. Mm -hmm. And the incarnation of of Jesus of Nazareth and his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension is the climax of all of that. Mm. But he's been speaking the whole time, right? And so the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. You start to see hints of that here. Mm -hmm. And uh, Abram is actually seeing something in this interaction yeah. yeah, which is interesting it's really cool and so then the the word of the lord that comes to abram says do not be afraid abram i am your shield and your very great reward mm. so do not be afraid is going to become one of the most ubiquitous and common commands in the bible yeah especially in the old testament mm-hmm Um, We are going to see this over and over and over again. You know, God is going to appear to Hagar after she has Ishmael and she's cast out of Abram's family. He's going to tell her not to be afraid in Genesis 21, 17. Mm -hmm. And he's going to appear to Isaac when he's sent away by Abimelech. And he was going to tell him to not be afraid in Genesis 26, 24. Mm -hmm. He's going to tell Jacob not to be afraid to go down to Egypt in Genesis 46, 3. He's going to tell Moses not to be afraid of the powerful king of Bashan. Og or Og in Numbers 21, 34. He's going to tell the Israelites many times in Deuteronomy to not be afraid mm-hmm. and to just go conquer the land of Canaan that he's trying to give them. It's like Deuteronomy 1, Deuteronomy 31, other places. going can tell Joshua the same thing before he actually goes into the promised land. And he's going to repeat this command to not be afraid over and over and over again. Joshua 1, 9, 8, 1, 10, 8, 10, 25, 11, 6. He's going to appear to Gideon, one of the judges, and tell him not to be afraid in Judges six six mm-hmm. uh, 6.23. He's going to tell Elijah the prophet not to be afraid to confront the king Ahaziah in, in 2 Kings one fifteen, He's going to tell Isaiah not to be afraid even though Assyria is laying siege to Judah and it looks like all is hopeless in 2 Kings 19. He's going to tell Isaiah and his ministry many times not to be afraid. He's going to tell Jeremiah the same thing about the situation of the exile. He's going to tell Ezekiel not to be afraid during his ministry multiple times. He's going to tell the same thing to Daniel. He's going to tell the same thing to Joel. He's going to tell the same thing to Zechariah. And in the New Testament, when the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, he says, do not be afraid mm-hmm. in Matthew uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah is told not to be afraid in Luke 1.13. When the angel of the Lord appears to Mary, to tell her what's going to happen with the incarnation. He's going to say, don't be afraid in Luke one thirty, Jesus is going to tell his disciples before he's killed in Luke 12 and John 12 and John 14 to not be afraid. And after the resurrection at the empty tomb, the women are going to show up and the tomb is empty. And in Matthew 28, multiple times, the angel of the Lord who's there is going to say not to be afraid. And then when Jesus actually sees the women, he's gonna tell them not to be afraid Yeah. and the Mm. disciples. And so as you can see, this is a very, very important and repeated command. And the heart of this is always the same. Do not be afraid, why?
2: Just God's with him.
0: Because I'm the Lord and I'm with you, Yeah. right? It's not saying like, sometimes Christians do weird things with this where it's like, it's bad to be afraid. Mm. It's bad to have fear. Well, not not necessarily, right? Like, if you have to go tell the king that he's sinning, and you very you know very well he might kill you, you should be, you should have fear. Yeah, it makes right? sense. The yeah. reaction of fear, but you're supposed to go do it anyways.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Why? Because mm-hmm. God is with you.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. These are all given right before seemingly impossible tasks, mm-hmm. maybe for humans, and so the fear would be without God. Of course, I can't do it. Yeah. So of course it's scary.
0: Right, right. And so here he tells Abram, don't be afraid because I am your shield, right? Mm-hmm. I'm your protection and I'm your reward. And so, you know, if if that's true, then then what is what is there to be afraid mm-hmm. of, right? Mm-hmm. And that becomes one of the patterns and the paradigms that even we as Christians, as we live out the kingdom of God, we're supposed to take that into consideration, right? Uh Jesus tells his disciples some scary things before he dies. He says, the world's going to hate you because the world hates me, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right? If they love me, then they love you, but they don't love me. And since you're my disciples, they're going to, they're going to hate you. Well, that doesn't mean that they're not supposed to go be the church. Mm -hmm. It means that they're supposed to step forward into that scary situation and they are to not fear because at the end of the great commission, what's he say, I'll be with you. Yeah.
2: Till the very end of the age. Very end of the age. Yeah.
0: Right. And so this is like, even in this whole context of like obedience and mission and purpose that you see so far in the scriptures and that you see uh, in in the church, it's still relational.
1: Mm.
0: You know, like it's not, don't be afraid, I'm God and I have set forth, uh, you know, in my providence, the result of what's going to happen and you will be okay. So you don't have to worry about anything. It's not like formulaic. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm God. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. Don't be afraid, mm-hmm. right? Go Go. do what you're supposed to do. Go be faithful. And uh, there, there, there's nothing to fear. And so uh, Abram responds to this. And uh, he's basically like, you know, you've made all these crazy promises about becoming a nation and blessing the world and having all these offspring. But there's, there's one very... Specific problem. Yeah, what is it? I
2: don't have an heir of my own. He's childless. Yeah,
0: right. The story of he he and Sarai opened with that that Mm -hmm. that they were that Sarai was barren, and so they don't have children. And so you have this thing about a seed that's supposed to come from me, but I don't have a kid. Mm -hmm. And even my nephew Lot left me.
2: Yeah, now Lot. Doesn't seem to be the heir.
0: Right. So the current seed is the head servant of the household, mm-hmm. Eliezer, right? Because there's like a line of progression with with inheritance mm-hmm. and all of this. And and so he's like, you know, uh, you have these promises and I trust you, but I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I don't have a kid. So how is all this stuff going to happen the way that you're saying? When Mary is told by the angel of the Lord that she's going to get pregnant with the chosen, that she is pregnant with yes. the chosen one. Yeah. With the savior, she says, Well, there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm a virgin. I haven't been with a man. Yeah. So I can't be pregnant. Right. And so you see this repetition, right? Mm-hmm. You see this pattern. God makes these promises that do feel impossible. Yeah. Because they are to us. Yeah. Right. And this is going to go into what does it look like to trust that God's got you? Mm-hmm. Right. To not be afraid. Mm-hmm. So let's do uh verses five and six.
2: Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness.
0: You know, when we ask questions of God, most of the times what we're looking for is an explanation. Mm -hmm. Like almost like a mechanical explanation.
2: Here's how I'm going to do what I told you I was going to do. Because
0: we say it's not possible for me to have all of these offspring that's going to form into a nation that's going to save the world because I don't have a kid. So tell me how this is going to happen.
2: Yeah.
0: And God does not explain
2: yeah, he says you're going to have a ton of offspring.
0: He just doubles down. And
2: Abram's like, "One on one. I
0: don't." Yeah. <laughs> Abram's like, "Well, this is impossible cuz I don't have a kid, so Eliezer is going to be my offspring." And God just says, "No, he's not.
2: And also, you're going to have <laughs> billions of offspring." So,
0: <laughs> And then he takes him outside and he says, "You know, look up, look up at the stars." Yeah. Right? "Well, uh, that's what your offspring's going to be." <laughs> your offspring is going to be like that, the stars of the sky. And so this is actually an important point because we have to talk about what does it mean for Abram to look up into the sky and for God to say that is Mm -hmm. going to be your offspring, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think that there's two parts of this promise. The first part is like quantitative, right? Or Mm -hmm. numerical. This part we're
2: more familiar with in this story.
0: Jackie, have you ever been to like Big Sky in Montana? No. Have you ever been to a place uh, like that that has like no light pollution? Maybe you're camping.
2: Yeah, I used to work at a summer camp that was pretty far out in the middle of nowhere.
0: In the sky. At least I felt it was. Yeah. And the sky is pretty crazy. Beautiful. Right? Crazy. Um, it's hard for us to understand this because we live in a city mm-hmm. and there's light pollution. And uh, uh, because of the jet stream.
2: <laughs> I knew you were going to say it.
0: It's very cloudy. <laughs>
2: the, now I understand what the <laughs> jet stream is. <laughs> uh,
0: and so. We look up into the sky sometimes and we see some stars. Yeah. Right? But if you've ever been to someplace like Big Sky in Montana, or if you ever go to the deserts of the Middle East, mm. the pictures that you see from people there on a clear night in the desert with no light pollution, what that sky looks like is insane. Mm. Mm-hmm. The amount of stars, the the you can actually see like… The, the constellations, you can actually see the galaxy, right? Like you can look and you can say, that's the Milky Way. Well, the, the, you know, those are all stars. Mm-hmm. And so um, there is so many stars in the sky. I think at some point he's going to talk about, uh, you know, the the part, or he did already, the particles of dirt. Yeah. Well, what he means is that you can't count them. Yeah. What's your offspring going to be like? Well, it's going to be so numerous. Like look up in the sky. Can you count all those stars? Mm-hmm. And so in Columbus, we're kind of like, actually, I think I can. Yeah,
2: there's three. I see <laughs> <laughs> on a good night.
0: But if you're in the, if you're here where he is, right in in the in the fertile. Well, there's crescent, no
2: light pollution. To no speak such of. thing of electricity.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you're in a desert. Yeah. And the skies are clear at night. What he's looking at is almost impossible. Like I would yeah. challenge you know, if you're listening to this, to Google, you know, the the desert night sky mm-hmm. in, in Saudi Arabia, you know, like out, out that way. And it's, it's really, really crazy. So, so there's a numerical promise, right? Look up in the sky. Your offspring is going to be like that. It's going to be that many. It's going to be that numerous. You're not even going to be able to count it. And then the second thing is like qualitative. Mm. And this is the part that we typically don't think about. Mm-hmm. Okay. But this very much has to do with our symbol. Aspect and our spirit aspect of our hermeneutic, which were the two things that we said are the hardest to wrap our minds around. Yeah, right?
2: the, we're the most disconnected from them.
0: He says, "Look up at those shining stars.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Your offspring is—they're going to be like that. Yeah, they're going to be like that. Yes, in quality. Mm. So, so what what w- what does that mean? When we talked about." Uh, the creation story, and we talked about the stars. Uh, One of the things that is true of the the ancient worldview, and this was true of the Hebrew people too, and this is true in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that the stars are typically equated with angelic beings. Mm -hmm. Right, the angels, the sons of God, the divine council, they're always talked about as being shiny and luminescent and like somewhere else, Mm -hmm. like somewhere unreachable. Mm So what's a really good symbol of that? Stars, cuz they're shiny and they're beautiful and they're, and they're luminescent and they're unreachable, mm-hmm. right? Um and so what is the destiny of the family of Abraham?
1: Mm.
0: It's to be like that, yeah. to be like the divine council, to be like those spiritual beings. And you start to you're going to start to see hints of this as we go through the Bible. Uh, When Moses meets face to face with Mm -hmm. God on the mountain, he comes down. What what, what happens to him?
2: The people can't look at him. His face is shiny. He's
0: shiny. Yeah. Right. Like, like a what? Like a star. star. Yeah. He's luminescent, right? He's shiny. When, when Jesus transfigures on the mountain with, with Peter and John, what, what do they say he looks like?
2: Yeah. He's shining.
0: He's like bright, white, shining and luminescent, right? He, 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 this is the destiny of those bound to God's redemption through Abram. We will be transformed and we will be transfigured into that likeness. We will start to become like God. Mm. We will start, you know, it's this idea of sanctification or theosis. We mm-hmm. will actually become like Him. And our destiny is to be in the divine council.
2: Yeah, to be in communion with Him.
0: With Him. Mm like those angelic beings that are equated with, with the stars, which, which uh, I think is pretty cool. John in, in his prologue, he says, uh, those who did receive him, those who did believe in his name, mm-hmm. he gave them the authority to become
2: sons of, God. sons of God. Yeah.
0: Well, throughout the rest of the Bible, sons of God are the angels,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? That's our destiny
1: mm-hmm.
0: to be on that level. Mm-hmm. right it, now that doesn't mean we're going to become mm-hmm. in corporeal right we're, we're going to have bodies yeah. we're going to be resurrected like christ all that stuff but the idea of becoming like that council in in quality is certainly mm. a big part here when paul spends a lot of time in first corinthians he spends like a whole chapter where he's just yelling at the corinthians because they're suing each other yeah right he's like so you guys are christians like you guys are Christians and you're suing each other yeah. in pagan courts. Like you get, you can't handle this business on your own. And you, you, you know, because of the way that our legal system works, we don't quite understand why he's so upset about that, mm-hmm. right? And the reason he gives at the end is he says, you know, one day you're gonna judge the angels, hmm. but you're letting those pagans come in and tell you guys how you should What's settle right your dispute, right? Yeah. what does he mean they're going to judge the angels Mm. it means that because christ becomes flesh and blood those of us who are flesh and blood in in redemption and when you know when we're healed in the resurrection we actually transcend the angels Mm. we become the divine council we become god's right hand Mm. in in his new creation project right so you're gonna, you know, your offspring's gonna become like the stars in the sky because there's so many of them you can't count, and they're gonna become like them because you guys are gonna transcend even the angels mm-hmm. in terms of God's created order. Mm. Uh, and so, this is being pointed to within 15 chapters of the story, yeah. right? Like this, these are the initial promises of redemption to Abram. Yeah, and he's starting to talk about what's gonna happen to us in the new heavens and the new earth, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's at, uh, that to me is important for us to see and to understand and to understand that that is our destiny. Yeah, and that's what it means to go through sanctification to become more and more like that and to mm-hmm. move in that direction. And it says that Abram believed him, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Mm. So we keep talking about that. What, what do we keep? What do we keep pounding on when we talk about Abram's righteousness?
2: Yeah, Abraham believes, um, and he shows his belief in how that belief affects his actions. Mm. So he acts upon his belief and that's credited to him as righteousness.
0: Right. Because what's he done so far?
2: He's done whatever the Lord's asked. He's gone. The Lord says, go and he goes. The Lord says, trust me. And he does.
0: He left everything Mm -hmm. to go where God told him to. He was building altars in a land that's occupied by by people hostile Mm -hmm. (laughs) to God. He takes 318 men and goes and defeats probably one of the most powerful armies in, in the region uh, in, in keter And so he trusts God
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he moves in his life in that trust. Mm-hmm. It's not just an intellectual idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not saying, okay, true, false question. I answered true. So that's yeah. faith.
2: Yeah. We've said this a lot of times. Abraham wasn't like, well, I believe that God exists. Mm. Let me go about my business anyways.
0: Faith is a relational, embodied response, mm-hmm. right? And so, because of it, because that's how Abram responds to God, he's reckoned righteous.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's credited as righteous, and so that's going to become important theology moving forward. Let's let's go to seven mm-hmm. through
2: eight. He also said to him, "I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans." to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it?
0: Mm. So now it kind of, that kind of makes it seem like he's maybe questioning things, right? Yeah. Like he's sort of, uh, give me a sign.
1: Yeah. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, But I actually think that, you know, he's asking for God to make this start.
2: Yeah, it sounds like he's agreeing with him, and he's like, "How can we do this? Let's get to it."
0: Yeah, so so, you know, I think the way that relationships work at at, at this point, there has to be a covenant. So mm-hmm. he's like, "Okay, I believe you. Let's go.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's make a covenant. What, what's what's going to be the sign? How, what's the ceremony? How are we gonna How are we gonna make this thing happen? Let's ratify the covenant." Mm-hmm. Um, and so. God is going to make a covenant with Abraham, Mm -hmm. right? Now, so far in the story, when you think about the images of God, what has been the problem? Mm.
2: That we're not faithful like we should be. Yeah. That we're not not obeying God's commands the way we should be.
0: Yeah, so we were created with a purpose Mm -hmm. and we're not holding up our end of the bargain.
2: Yeah.
0: And every story is about how we're not holding up our end of the bargain. Mm Mm-hmm. So actually, as you, from the story aspect of our hermeneutic, as you read this, you should actually be scared right now, hmm. right? Because Abraham is like, all right, let's do this. Let's make this covenant. And you're kind of like, do you really oh, want to make that covenant? Whoa, hold on. Yeah. Because so far, no one's been able to, to live up to what God mm-hmm. has put mm-hmm. in front of his chosen people. Um, and so if this is a two-sided covenant, you know, it kind of raises the question, do we really want that? Do we want to mm-hmm. be involved in a two-sided covenant with God? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so let's see Let's see what kind of covenant this Mm -hmm. is Let's see what God does So Mm -hmm. this is uh,
2: 9-11 So the Lord said to him Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram Each three years old Along with a dove and a young pigeon Abram brought all these to him Cut them in two And arranged the halves opposite each other The birds, however, he did not cut in half Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses But Abram drove them away
0: so God says, let's go ahead and cut a covenant,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So here's how covenants work in the ancient world. Today we have written contracts and contract law and we have courts and legal procedures that uphold all that. Not so much the case 3,000 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. It was a little bit of a different time, a little bit of a different way to make these kinds of agreements. And so let's say that you wanted access to water that someone else possessed. And in return, you were going to give them like cattle every year.
1: Mm.
0: The way that you'd ratify a covenant is you would both make the promise of what you're going to do for the other person. And then you would take some kind of animals like a heifer or a goat or a ram, and you would cut them in half. And then both sides would stand opposite of each other. And you know, these, these cut in half carcasses would be split apart Mm. with enough room to walk through. And you would stand apart from the other person that you were making this contract with this covenant with, and you would both walk through it facing each other simultaneously. Mm. And the idea was as you're walking through these cut in half animals, if I don't hold up my side of the covenant, may the same thing happen to me.
2: That's hardcore.
0: So, yeah. That's crazy. Very hardcore, right? Yeah. Um, and so this is what God is preparing. Mm. It's having Abram prepare to do this, mm. right? So if God doesn't hold up his end of the bargain, then he's gonna die. If Abram doesn't hold up his end of the bargain, he's going to die, right? Mm. So then um, something strange happens. Yeah. So let's read uh, 12 through 20, the the rest of the, the chapter.
2: As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there but I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age in the fourth generation. Your, de- your descendants will come back here. And for the sin of the Amorites has not yet for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, Amorites, Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites.
0: So Abram goes into a deep sleep. Mm-hmm. So I think we've talked about, we talked about this before. This is this is a death sleep.
2: Yeah, we talked about this when um, Adam fell asleep. Right. And woke up and there was Eve.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we talked about this in Jonah.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah. right When we Jonah's in, Jonah. the,
0: in the boat, Yeah, he, he falls into a deep sleep. And it's a specific Hebrew word. And so it, it means something different, right? It, it, it means deep sleep in the sense that you're close to death. It's kind of like a coma. Like a coma. Mm. And so um, when Adam falls into a deep sleep, he wakes up and there's a new creation in front of
1: him mm-hmm.
0: right when when Jonah goes into a deep sleep he wakes up and death is upon everybody then he goes down into the to to the waters as a substitute mm. and new life comes right to to the people who who are trapped there and so Abram goes into a death sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness comes over him and then God yeah. starts to make promises and he makes very specific promises about what's going to happen in, in Egypt in the future mm. and how they're going to be freed from this. And then a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch pass through the pieces while Abram is asleep and God makes the covenant with Abram saying that all of the land of these, these Canaanites and Nephilim are going to be given to him. Mm-hmm. And so like what just happened, Yeah. right? So a deep and dreadful... What is it, a thick and dreadful darkness, right? Mm. What What is the author trying to put forth here? Mm. It's really dark, right? He doesn't just say it's dark. He says there's a thick and a dreadful darkness, right? Scary. So wh- what is the first story that we read where there's darkness?
2: The first story in the Bible, Genesis mm.
1: 1. Mm.
0: And... What is God doing when it's really dark in Genesis one?
2: The spirit is hovering over the wa- the waters.
0: The spirit hovers over the waters yeah. of the darkness. And what does smoke kind of symbolize?
2: Mm, the spirit kind of breath.
0: Breath, spirit, wind, right? And, and so you, you put, sm- it's like when you light a, a match and smoke goes up into the air, you can see the wind mm. in the smoke, right? It's like you can actually see the breath because it 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 takes you know this thing you can't see and makes it and makes it real. So so smoke tends to symbolize spirit. And so you here you have a smoking fire pot mm-hmm. in the darkness. And then what's the first thing that God says in the creation story, Genesis 1, when it's dark?
2: Let there be light.
0: Let there be light. And what else is passing through the animals?
2: Mm. A light,
0: a, a torch. torch, right? Light. And so smoke and light, the presence of God and the action of God. And so this is symbolizing new creation, right? Mm-hmm. Just like the new creation that Adam wakes up to when he gets put in this death sleep. Uh, similar to the new creation that Israel is going to find when they go in four, 400 years in slavery and it seems like they're going to die out. Mm-hmm. They're in a death sleep in Egypt mm. and then God is going to deliver them. Right. And so God himself symbolized his spirit as a smoking fire pot and, and the light of God as a flaming torch passes through the cut up animals and makes the promise who does not pass through the animals. Abram. So what does that mean? Mm. It means that. The promise that God is making is unilateral, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Abram is not, God does not make Abram walk through them and say, if I don't hold up some end of this bargain, I'm going to die.
2: Yeah, because historically we don't hold up that end of the bargain.
0: Right. So God passes through by himself, making his promise that If God does not hold up the end, this end of the bargain, his end, Mm. then he's going to die. So God can't die.
2: Yeah. And he always keeps his promises.
0: So that means that the promise is going to come true. Right. Very, very significant symbolism Mm. in this ritual Mm -hmm. that seems so, that seems so strange. You know, this promise is going to set the scene for the rest of the Bible because the people of God are never supposed to lose hope, even when it seems like they're dead.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even when they're in a death sleep and it feels like all hope is lost. Well, why? Well, because every time we find ourselves in a death sleep, God tends to show up and bring new life. Mm-hmm. Just like Genesis 1, just like Genesis 2, just like in Jonah, just like here with with Abram, just like it's going to be with Israel in Egypt. And then like it's going to be with Israel when they're exiled in Babylon, mm-hmm. right? That, that these moments where, we're, where our consciousness is almost gone and it feels like we're about to die, God has still made his promise. Mm-hmm. And those promises are gonna come to fruition. So Jesus Christ goes up on the cross. He's supposed to be the Messiah and he, and he dies and he goes into the grave. And so it feels like all hope is lost, mm-hmm. but God has made this promise to Abram. Yeah. And so what happens to Jesus?
2: He resurrects.
0: He's raised from the dead. Yeah. And the the promise of God moves forward because it's up to God and God doesn't fail. Yeah. And God's not going to die. And so, uh, the, the, you, you could say with these deep sleep moments in the Bible that resurrection is always in mind.
1: Mm.
0: Right. Just like Melchizedek is like a, a foreshadowing that's not quite complete of the priesthood and kingship of Jesus. These death sleeps that you see Adam and Jonah and Abram go into, they're foreshadowings of that kind of death Mm -hmm. and then resurrection into new life and new creation and new hope. And so I think that that's why the culmination of redemptive history is literally resurrection. Yeah. Right, because that pattern has been set really from Genesis 2, Yeah, but it really starts to come forth here In Genesis 12. And Mm -hmm. the promise that God makes to Abram is unconditional because it's going to be done by him,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. right? And so this is interesting because this is the foundational covenant of the people of Abraham, right? Mm -hmm. So the covenant with Noah has to do with humanity. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that a lot. And that's very, very important. But then this is the foundational covenant to the people of Israel. So what we're going to see. Is after they're delivered from slavery in Egypt, they're gonna get another covenant called the Mosaic covenant where they receive the law. Mm-hmm. Right. This is not a one-sided covenant. Mm-hmm. So there's this, there's this chapter in Deuteronomy that's the blessings and the curses of the covenant. Yes. Right. Yeah. And God, you know, Moses tells them, God tells them through Moses, if you follow this law you follow these instructions, if you live faithfully this covenant, here's all the blessings that are gonna come to you, right? If you don't, here are all the curses. Mm. So that is not an unconditional covenant, right? Israel had certain privileges and certain promises that were conditional on their ability to be the people of God, to Mm. shine the light of God, to be the city on the hill, to to be what they were always called to be. And when they don't do it, what happens to them? They're cursed. They're cursed, they're exiled, the Mm. presence of God. Is removed from from them, and uh, so then so then they don't live up to that covenant. So then, why does the story still continue?
2: Because of the Abraham. Because of covenant. the
0: Abrahamic covenant. Mm. Because there is a foundational covenant uh, where the promise of God is unilateral mm. and it has to do with salvation, right? That this family will be blessed, and they will be uh, given gifts, and their enemies will be cursed, and the whole world will be blessed through them, Mm. right? And uh, all of what's gonna happen to Israel, right? Where they do go into exile in Egypt, and then they do get delivered, and then they do go into the promised land and they do possess it, all of that happens because God has promised that it happens, Mm -hmm. right? And then everything that comes after that happens because God promises it happens. So not every covenant in the Bible is unconditional, Mm -hmm. right? The Mosaic covenant's conditional but this foundational covenant is. And so the foundational movement of God through Israel for salvation is going to happen because the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch, the spirit of God and the light of God walked through the, the animals.
2: Mm. And that's grace to us.
0: And that's grace, right? Um, this promise to Abram, is why Paul talks so much about Abram,
1: right?
0: This is the promise that we're grafted into.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, The Mosaic covenant was used by God and the people of God through the Mosaic covenant, like the redemptive history happened through that. So it's not nothing, Right. right? But it was conditional, they didn't live up to it. And yet here we are saying that we're somehow saved. Yeah. Well, why? Well Paul says it's because we've been grafted into the family of Abraham remember the promise that God made to Abraham mm-hmm. that's what our that's what our promise is mm-hmm. right that's that's what what this means and so this covenant ceremony like you kind of have to know how were covenants ratified in the ancient yeah. near east right you, we, like there's no reason that that's intuitive to us mm-hmm. so you read that story and you're like that's bizarre but then the reason that I love being able to do this and to think about this and to share this is because once you see it, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I mean, it's so significant. It's so symbolic. It's so beautiful, Mm -hmm. right? Um, To say that you're going to, that your offspring are going to become like the stars Mm -hmm. in kind in quality, that makes no sense to us the Mm -hmm. the way that we view the world. But when you put it in the context of the Bible, what, what a promise of, of sanctification and transcendence that that's in our future. You know, this is, this is the real, promises of God and so once you see it you can't unsee it
2: it's like the the basic tenets that we know about the bible are good mm-hmm. but once you unfold them they're even better yeah and we just keep digging deeper and they it, it, it keeps getting better
0: right and uh well, what's the what's the um company or whatever that does the state of the bible stuff oh barna research Yeah, Barna. yeah so part of the reason we started this podcast was because we wanted people we wanted to help people read the bible because it feels like the numbers would tell you that people don't read the Bible. Yeah. And, Christians don't read the Bible. Very and one much, of right? the,
2: the main reasons people gave for not reading the Bible was, was not relating to the language or not understanding it. Right. Yeah.
0: And so sometimes like with this kind of stuff, when you get into this level of detail, sometimes people ask like, well, isn't it enough to just know that Jesus saved me and to live my life according to his, you know, commands and principles and, And the answer is like, yes, but there's so much more.
2: Yeah. Do you just want to do enough?
0: Yeah. Like, what? don't like, I don't know. Like you read this story about the love of God that he shows through this ceremony that he does with Abram. Like, doesn't, isn't that inspiring? Mm -hmm. Like, like, doesn't that help us contextualize what our life is supposed to look like? You read what he says about the stars. Like, doesn't that help us see what our destiny is and isn't isn't that in front of us like like you don't have to unfold every piece of a garment you can look at it fold it up and say oh that looks cool but then when you unfold it and you see it you're like oh this is cool this is or this is not cool yeah well when you unfold the bible even the scariest parts the weirdest parts the strangest parts the parts that seem to repel us at first when you unfold them you start to see that they're actually really really beautiful
2: they're beautiful and they all point to grace
0: they point to grace, and they point to God, and they point to us, and I mean, yeah. it's just it's it's so beautiful. So um, Genesis fifteen is is uh, a pretty pretty significant passage, and so we've got about I don't know six more chapters of 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 Abram, something mm-hmm. like that, until we move on to Isaac. So we've got a a, a, f- a few more episodes through through the Abram story. Uh, he, his name is going to get changed here soon, I promise, and so mm-hmm. we'll start calling him Abraham. Uh, and we're going to start to see the promises of God come to fruition through him. Mm -hmm. So um, anything else today? That's all I've got. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining us and we will see you next week on story symbol spirit.